First they think you're crazy, then they fight you, and then all of a sudden you change the world. Berlusconi flatly denies that any mafia money helped him to get a start in real estate. I have I've always had a thing for black people. I like black people. I'm telling you, these stories are funnier than, than the jokes you can tell. And I said, what the fuck is a brain scientist? I was like, that's not a real job. Tell me the truth. But anyway. And we're back on Grubstakers on the premium side. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. I'm Sean P. McCarthy. I'm here with my friends. Andy Palmer. Steve Jeffries. And, uh, you know, this week we're, uh, we're joined by a very special guest because we want to talk about jobs in general. You know, Grubstakers, we've, we've been talking about billionaires in particular, but just the actual day-to-day grind of being a wage laborer. Uh, we wanted to focus on that, and we're joined by a career c- counselor and recruiter uh, that Steve knows named Finn O'Shaughnessy. Thank you for being with us. Th- thank you for letting me be here. Yes. And uh, Steve knows this person uh, with his definitely real name that we just gave you. <laughs> um, and, and I guess we just wanted to... I, t- I was imagining when you introduced him, like half the listeners were like, oh no, they're going to do a bit. And like, Andy's going <laughs> to jump in with, hello, hello, I'm Finn O'Shaughnessy, and I'm going <laughs> to... <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's how little I respect myself as I, uh, and my Irish heritage. I just allow a name like Finn O'Shaughnessy <laughs> to be paraded. Like my ancestors didn't suffer through two genocides so that I could come here and podcast for $100 a month in Brooklyn. Um, but but actually, you know, I, I did want to do this episode for a variety of reasons, which is, you know, if, if you're listening to the premium side, maybe we'll unlock this. But you may or may not be having, you know, job troubles or you hate your job, you want to get another job. So I want to talk about that and I want to talk about specifically the, the recruiting uh, temp and permanent hiring industries more in general. And um, and really, more than anything else, this is an intervention for Andy, who hates his day job, and we're trying to figure out how to get him out of it into a better one. Is that right? Well, if we unlock this, um, it's only the uh, management side. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have put it that way, but yeah. Yeah, if you're listening, the best thing you can do for Andy is dox him and try to get him fired. Because <laughs> then I can collect unemployment. And but I guess, like, um, so, Finn, if if where we're going to start, or I guess where I would start, is essentially for people who, because, uh, like, I guess we've all gone through the temp or permanent hiring recruiting process, but for those who haven't gone through that, could you just briefly explain how temp and permanent hiring works in this country? Well, um, the the sort of nature of hiring is that from uh, from your perspective as the person trying to get hired, you send out your resume a bajillion times and then uh, about eh, maybe 5% of those lead to interviews and then about 5 to 10% of those interviews eventually lead to hires. I call those the, the ones where I don't throw up on them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's... You don't get a lot of feedback. Uh, the only thing that's the the thing that I think that people need to know from the get go when they're going into recruiting is when they're going to try to get a job is the average person looking for a job will apply to about two hundred positions for each offer they get, mm. and that's the that's the average. It varies by industry. Um, there's a kind of funny thing where the savvier industries are actually worse off. Uh, I would count as being in the HR industry, and we're like 240 applications per offer. Hmm. Uh, 
probably because it's all a giant race to the bottom. You know, we see the numbers and we say, okay, the only way to really deal with this is to increase volume. That's what you need to do is increase the volume, put out your resume more often, more aggressively, um, more sloppily, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, being sloppy is, frankly, an advantage. Uh, and the, yeah. uh, the keys to uh, the job search are the keys uh, control A and control C and then control V. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. So yeah. for cover letters. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go straight to the, the uh, oh, pain point. Yeah. yeah, let's get to the nitty gritty. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, do you even need to type the name of the co- – have like a field for the name of the company in a cover letter? Or can you make a cover letter that's generic enough for most jobs? I would not recommend that, but that's just because okay. it's extremely easy to adjust. Okay. It's like make a cover letter. When when I did my last job search a couple years ago, I thought this was probably the easiest way to do it was I had maybe eight different paragraphs, and then I would choose two to three of those for each job right? Uh, generically, and then just do like a word <laughs> substitution where I flipped, like the last line would be like, uh, I really look forward. I think these would really add to the position of X yeah. at company Y yeah. in the Z unit. I like how uh, you, you learn marketable <laughs> skills just from the job, the job search. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I want to write like a Python anyway. script. To, uh, to yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, dear, dear name, yeah. <laughs> that, that I'm really be... interested in X. Um, I can do Y, Z, and A. Yeah, that, that, would, be, that would be great. Just, uh, you know, and the first part, you know, just company name and their address and the name of the position and like reposition name and that makes the thing that just you let them know you care. know where they yeah. live um, <laughs> it's important to start out your cover letter by intimidating them <laughs> 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 you have to establish dominance so that they're afraid of you and hire you i was that's what i found i always started off with a list of fears and then i realized <laughs> that wasn't maybe the best approach <laughs> Well, that's that. That makes them. That's disarming because they're like, "Oh no, we can control this one." <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, so you, you want to. I'm offering it like, here are my weaknesses. Yeah. <laughs> basically. Yeah. This is yeah. this is how you can exploit me more efficiently. Just, uh, just start yeah, off with like offering pliable. your neck. Yeah. Like straight to <laughs> straight to the slaughterer. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, in my time in college, I learned how terrible and ineffective unions were. <laughs> <laughs> and I learned the first thing I should do is report any unionization activities to management. That's the most effective cover letter. Oh, yeah. yeah. But, uh, but I think that's actually like what I was doing is I would have like a five paragraph cover letter and three of them were always in there. And then you read the job description once and you're like, OK, two paragraphs. Here's how we adjust this and this part of my work experience to this mm-hmm. job. Okay. Uh-huh. There's um, something that I, I think is kind of funny is that there's this uh, part of part of doing the job search is trying to tailor your resume and your cover letter to the particular job. And it's actually less complicated than it sounds. It's mostly try to identify what that particular recruiter is kind of obsessed with. Right. Like they'll probably use like one or two like very technical terms like three or four times. And then just figure out some way to cram that into your resume and cover letter, even if it like barely makes grammatical sense. <laughs> uh, and then, and this is like from a, if you're like a literary person, this is really hacky. You know, this is oh, yeah. hacky, cheap writing. But uh, recruiters actually kind of lose their minds over it because it means you actually read it. Mm. Uh, and that just like puts you like way ahead of like people who are like using Python scripts, basically. <laughs> um, no, I'm going to have the Python script look for repeated <laughs> phrases. Um, and there was actually this really insane strategy. Uh, I don't know if it works anymore because I, I don't ever actually see the bowels of the software they use. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty well known that a lot of these companies, they will 
have a script that parses your resume and that's before any human looks at it and they just reject any resumes that don't hit a certain amount of keywords that's yeah i figured that like if you hit the keywords then mm -hmm. you're gonna pass the control f screening yeah the control they, f yeah they don't even trust their own software a lot of times and yeah. make you re-enter your resume right yeah yeah that's that's fairly common uh, i think it might have been to deal with the specific strategy which was a uh, so you have like a white background and black lettering on top of it mm -hmm. and then you write like a bajillion keywords, like thousands of keywords <laughs> in white text and then layer it behind the black text. So <laughs> humans can't see it, but the, oh, shit. But the parser will. You can't, oh my God. My, my mind was blown. Yeah, no, that's, that's... I don't know if they figured out how to defeat that one yet. Well, uh, it depends or if on they who even the they is. I don't, I'm yeah. actually sure even if they, if the, the people who are doing like that kind of scale of recruiting actually want to defeat it. Uh, oh you can God. use like two point font. Yeah, it's not even two point font. It's in like white, in white text. It's what what would be layered behind it, so it's just totally over yeah. so you can fit more. Is that is that something you can do in Word, or do you have to do some special? Oh no, it's a PDF thing. Yeah, it would be a PDF thing. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's um, I always thought that was incredibly funny. Uh, <laughs> because uh, the the in general you want a resume to be like six hundred or so words, not right. much longer. Uh, I when I read a resume, um, probably ten seconds. Okay. For me to figure out almost everything I need to know. Okay. Uh, like, I, I usually have a pretty good impression of what a resume is like within 10 seconds. And uh, if I see a resume that's like over a thousand words where it's just like in a smaller font and like up to the edges oh, and everything, yeah. like, I immediately, before I've even re read a single word, I'm already judging the person as like not good at editing, not in control. Right. Uh, <laughs> the kind of person who's going to like take an hour to answer like two questions and like really <laughs> waste my time. Uh, I'm just imagining like if a recruiter sees one of those like hidden word essays, maybe they get like programmed and don't even realize it. Oh, and yeah. then they're just like at breakfast, like team building. Oh, is this like a, a so like you're proposing like a way of like creating Manchurian candidates <laughs> by like yes. applying to jobs with like <laughs> brainwashing like well, in the hidden text. <laughs> we, we talked about this in our Koch brothers episode, but so the Koch brothers in their various programs like at George uh, Mason University, the Mercatus Institute, and there are other scholarships. They have like journalism funds, as t terrifying as that is. But so they, they would run a program that would search like applicants' essays for words like freedom and liberty and markets and this kind of shit. So like if you want to just get a million dollar scholarship, just put those in two point fonts uh, and then send uh, to every single Coke affiliated uh, hiring thing you can find. Oh, that, that, yeah. that, that kind of stuff was how I paid for college. Like, yeah. You know, I, I <laughs> it's, yeah. It's like the Instagram thing where, uh, you know, people who really want to like get their Instagram seen by a certain demographic will just be like out enjoying the sunshine and then they'll have like 30 hashtags following it. <laughs> oh yeah, and like YouTube was infamous for that as well. Like uh, just like every, like you just see like absolute nonsense hashtags attached to videos. Just oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, you know, just, um, but anyway, this actually. Tower, th hashtag Tower 7. <laughs> 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 just like a, a Miley Cyrus video. Yeah. <laughs> hashtag QAnon. Yeah, I have to. <laughs> hashtag, yeah. I have to apply to 400 jobs because I keep putting that in my resume. <laughs> Um, but yeah, the Instagram thing actually reminded me of uh, one of my favorite things that Instagrammers will do to further their careers, which is uh, lying about sponsored content. Hmm. Oh. I've always thought this was an amazing yeah. uh, piece of like dystopia 
is the Instagram stars who will pretend that they are sponsored by a company that hasn't sponsored them at all. So they look like they've they got their foot in the sponsored Yeah, way. yeah. So they look like they would be more attractive to other companies that might sponsor <laughs> them, which gets to one of the most important parts of all this, which is lying. Yes. The strategy around lying about job search. Uh, you know, it's but before you do that, yeah, let's sure. do our new ad reads for Grubstakers. <laughs> uh, we we just got a big sponsorship deal with BetDSI.com. And, uh, would and love they said, put it in the premium. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, if you're thinking about advertising with us, the rates are going up. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, so the we, we all know this cliche. You know, you see it in every sitcom. How do you lie on, you know, lying on your resume about this, that, or the other thing? And it's really kind of an art form because uh, fundamentally you just don't tell the truth unless you have to is kind of the overarching theme. And there are basically two reasons why you wouldn't, why you want to tell the truth. There are two things that really hold you back from just saying whatever it takes to get the job. Uh, Number one, it's easily verifiable. You know, don't claim that you went to a college you didn't go to. That's very, very easy to check. Don't claim that you worked for companies that you obviously didn't work for. Very easy to check. Don't claim you worked for companies that never existed. Very easy <laughs> to check. Um, and you know, but, the thing but what is, if what if I found those LLCs <laughs> in well, uh, some sort of Cayman Island shell company? I mean, if if it exists, it exists, man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, a lot of you know, a lot of people don't know that founding an LLC is extremely easy. So I guess you oh, could yeah. probably boost yourself up. By Delaware, uh, no, we, we know that now. I mean, oh, I'm already like self declared girl boss at Grubstakers LLC. Oh, God. Yeah. I worked for my company Microsoft LLC <laughs> with a, a zero instead of an O <laughs> founded in Delaware two months ago. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, the other reason would be if it's something where it would come back to bite you once you actually have the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you does know, that, they, does I, that ever happen? Yeah. People get fired for that. Um, to be honest, most of the time that the people who I help get hired get fired, it's because they just stop showing up to work, uh, which I can't really defend them. Um, Someone in this podcast did that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but, um, you know, if, it, if it's a question, if it's a skill that you don't quite have, but you think you can muddle through for a few months, yeah, you can do it. Let me ask you guys, how many jobs have you guys each had? I think I counted before the episode and it was like eight. Yeah. Uh, more than a month. Seven or, seven or like eight. That you've held more than one month. Probably around that. I know it's less than ten, okay. but probably around seven or eight. All right. It's seven for me. Uh, I'd, I'd go with 15, um, of which I'd say four of those were more than a year. Um. Now, uh, let's find the absolute value of the difference between jobs and sex partners. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and make everyone guess which oh God. whether it's negative or positive. <laughs> um well, yeah, this we'll, we'll we'll put out a chart on the Grubstakers Twitter later. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this gets to why I think you people need to not listen to the standard job advice that you'll see, uh, because one of the most common ones is you know research the company before you even make first contact. Mm-hmm. This is possibly the worst advice, uh, <laughs> because that could be they're talking about doing like hours of research. You know, they want you to know who like oh, yeah. office managers are, right. and first of all. First of all, for those of us on the recruiting side, we consider that terrifying. 
Uh, <laughs> like we think that you're planning like a terrorist attack. Uh, <laughs> second that's of like, all, that's what an active shooter would do. Yeah, so that, that you're doing active shooter stuff, not like looking for a job stuff. So the other thing is that this advice is really designed for you know Pete Campbell from Mad Men. You know, Pete Campbell was never going to go without a job. Like, they try to fire him, and they can't because his grandmother has too much power at the fish market. Right. Like, <laughs> that's who that advice is for, is for people who are, by birth or absurd luck, so insanely overconnected that they're not actually looking for a job because they need it. They're, they're on safari. For a job, you know, they're they're the big game hunters, <laughs> and and we're exactly, the ones out there trapping exactly. rabbits. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like that. That the advice is ludicrous, um, and so you know this stuff like you know research the company, uh, always like make first contact in a casual setting. Like, what in the fuck are these people on? Uh, again, you lots you're, of witnesses. <laughs> yeah, establish that you are not a threat. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, it's it's absolutely preposterous. Absurd and advice. Like you spell check what? <laughs> Seriously? Yeah. yeah, like I mean, admittedly I do see people misspell things on the resumes a lot, but it's you know, it doesn't get to any of the hard parts and again, like I said before, you're going to apply to like 200 jobs. You can't afford to spend 3 to 5 hours on every single one of those applications. That yeah. That is ludicrous. But if you want to get your Malcolm Gladwell hours on out applying, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> became yeah. a master at applying for <laughs> <Yeah>. jobs. <laughs> All right, so quantity that, over quality. You know that yeah. free labor that doesn't pay for anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just uh, that that free exploitation you get to do before the wage <laughs> exploitation you do. I've had coworkers be like, "So why why haven't you quit?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't have." a lot of time to look for jobs and I'm not going to do that for free. Yeah. Like I'm going to do it for unemployment money. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's or I mean just do it at work. Uh yeah, that's I'm all, I'm all I've been like learning node.js and python to like automate as much of my work as I can so I can <laughs> Oh, no, you uh, start using uh use like Fiverr or TaskRabbit to like get somebody else <laughs> to do your job <laughs> for you and then you can use that time to the, the free that's time. Some, that's some real like Tim Ferriss race to the bottom shit. Yeah. <laughs> Where he, he wrote that book what was it like the five hour work day and apparently in that book it's just some of the advice is like you know a lot of the work that you need to get done you can just source out to people in India and it's like what the fuck? Yeah like that doesn't actually reduce the amount of hours worked it just kind of yeah. like shuffles it around. You're like just like exploiting <laughs> someone who's in a worse oh, yeah, yeah. place. The five-hour work week. You just uh, own some own some apartment buildings and collect rent from <laughs> the tenants. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's an underclass of software engineers who would take you up on that. Uh, yeah. You could hire on TaskRabbit. Well, the problem is I'm also part of the underclass of software people. Okay, well, there's an under-underclass who doesn't have a job <laughs> yet that wants your job. Yeah. Oh, I'm, get, I'm, they uh, get your job, and then you get the other job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to spare. So I'm just trying to like carve out. To I'm just trying to carve out time for you to like be doing the job applications. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, guys, a, it's a short term. I'm thinking about writing a sequel to the Five Hour Work Week based around uh, <laughs> based around uh, m uh, mining cobalt in the Congo. <laughs> <laughs> and occasionally, you do have to work to to check up on possible <laughs> worker organization activities and and you know these sorts of things. But mostly, you're just collecting the money. I mean, yeah, that's a. It's gonna be a booming <laughs> industry soon. Um, but I guess um, we can continue on with, I guess, advice for people who might be listening on on you know getting a job and mm. and what our good co-host Andy should do because we see that this job is weighing on him, it's mm. stressing him, you know, 
mm-hmm. his productivity at the podcast is going down. <laughs> We're taking him aside. We're writing him up. All these <laughs> other things. Because I think, I think you guys are just uh, retaliating <laughs> against me because I uh, reported you to the NLRB. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not something that's going on in my actual job right now. Uh. Andy Andy filed a sexual harassment claim against Yogi, <laughs> and so Yogi has to appear on different episodes now. And now we're trying to get Andy fired and make it look like it's unrelated. We have to write it into Andy's contract that he won't appear in the same episodes as Yogi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, but but you it's know it is it is just something where it's like what you're saying there, Andy, I mean, it makes sense where it's like you have a job you hate, so it's like, okay, you figure out how you get them to lay you off so you collect unemployment, or you either get hired in another job, because it's like for vast majority of people, like what, 75% of this country lives paycheck to paycheck, it doesn't make sense to like quit a job and then... That's also the numbers for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> quit yeah. a job and then... Um, uh, fucking... <laughs> oh, I just got that. <laughs> uh, quit a job and then go looking for something else. And mm. I mean, it's like, look, uh, it's a socialist podcast. I'm sure w- uh, most our listeners are familiar with this, but it is the core lie of, you know, there's a choice under capitalism yeah. where it's like, you don't like your job, just quit. Well, that makes no sense if you don't already have another job lined up because you're just starving. That, yeah. bear, that bears out in the economic data because the, the, um, the Federal Reserve economic data site tracks quit rate for employees, and it varies inversely with the unemployment rate. Hmm. So in yeah. when times are good more people feel who were thinking about quitting do. That's funny because like three, <laughs> of my, uh, three of my coworkers in this last week just quit with no job lined up. Like they were just so fed up. I, I was just... I mean, uh, I've, I've done that once. Yeah. Yeah, I know how it feels. I did that before know? I moved to New York and boy, I mean, I had savings, but boy, was that a... Oh yeah, it's, it's really stressful to do that. Yeah. I, was, um, I was just laughing because Steve was talking about how, you know, people can't quit when the economy goes bad and we were just talking before this podcast started about how the economy is just going bad yeah <laughs> yeah yep. yep. and he's trapped <laughs> yeah well in even even in quote good times like now um unemployment which is at a low reported rate even in new york city there's still 171,000 people unemployed right mm-hmm. and the definition i mean as you as we brought up a few times before um even if you work one hour per in within the survey period when they when they do the unemployment survey, you're still fully employed. So everybody nice. on fucking TaskRabbit and shit. Yeah, if you if you did one hour of work, you're cool. employed just as much as someone who did forty hours of work. Postmates. As far as the statistics are concerned. And there's also I mean the very important thing to remember at U three is that it's only people who are actually looking for work. Um so it actually winds up being a very confusing um uh, statistic to be using as a core tracking because somebody who hasn't applied for a job over the course of the survey period is a discouraged worker and you know they'd be included in looser definitions of unemployment but they would not be included in the reported unemployment which has a kind of interesting implication in that uh, since we do a lot of economic targeting around the unemployment rate and the unemployment rate is people who is basically defined as people who are actively suffering for their lack of work. It's not like a labor yeah. use utilization thing. It's how many people are just suffering. And after a certain amount of time, don't like the long-term unemployed just kind of drop off? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. the There's even like some kind of interesting statistics about like how long does it take somebody to uh, drop out, to move out of the labor force mm-hmm. is the term that BLS uses. And uh, mm-hmm. on your resume, if there's a gap, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that's going to be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so like, 
the longer the gap on your resume, uh, the more likely you're just going to fall out of the labor force eventually. Yeah, yeah. The, the it's, a, it's a surprisingly flat distribution if once they break it down by like, you know, people who have been out of work for like three weeks versus six weeks, they go up to like 50 weeks. Uh, and it the people who go back into the labor force, it tends to bias towards the shorter term, but it's not like 80 versus 5%. It's like 30 versus 15%. Uh, but still, like those really long-term unemployments really hurt you. And even if you do get a job, it tends to be a worse one, right? Than the right. people who are getting back in rapidly. So and, you so know, wait, it's, it's good. It's good that we punish them because, as we all know, systematic unemployment is their fault. Yeah, yes. yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, it, so speaking. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, speaking of lying on, on your resume strategies, mm-hmm. um, or you know, uh, being flexible with the truth. Say you're long-term unemployed. If you Towards the beginning, you realize things may not be that great. If you did just start a company and then in your interviews later say, well, yeah, you know, I I was unemployed, so I thought I'd start a company, but then it didn't quite work out. Would that be better than just having a long blank? Well, uh, so the the question about gaps is really a tricky one to deal with. It's it's honestly a lot of the the art form of it. And uh, it's usually the bigger issue comes in when people have a lot of jobs that don't cohere together. Mm-hmm. That they don't, you want your resume to kind of tell a unified story of uh. your skills and a narrative that kind of has a teleology that leads to this next job that you're applying for. Uh, um, yeah. And so sometimes it's worthwhile to just cut out previous job experience that's just not relevant. And I mean, right. I, I, was ju- I was just getting ready for this job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I needed a break before um, I knew I would get this job. That's what you can say. But if you're talking about just like creating an LLC as effectively like a cover story, mm-hmm. um, that's kind of an interesting one. Uh, part of one of the things that uh, a lot of that sucks in interviews is, you know, well, if you know, if you're the president of a company, like, why are you bothering to come here? Um, and, you know, people who are trying to leave, say, academia get this a lot. You know, it's like, well, why aren't you uh, – why would we hire you when we think you're just going to go back and be a professor right. six months down the line? That sort of thing. Um, Some people were worried that uh, – because I might sometimes mention I did comedy. They're like, well, what if, you know, you you get, like, a big job at SNL? And <laughs> I always to be like, hey, you, you don't have to worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's – yeah. Um, so I'm actually – I've never really thought too much about people – basically creating their own companies as a means of papering over. Uh, and I'm kind of wondering if it would make more sense to create the company, but give yourself a title that isn't president. Right. Uh, <laughs> like, I, I was thinking like the narrative you could spin is like, be like, you know, I, I tried to like strike out on my own, see how it worked out and you know, it didn't. So now I'm back in the, well, I mean, you, you, you don't really necessarily want to say it didn't work out. This is always the, the uh, why did you leave your jo- last job is always uh, a tricky one. And, uh, you usually want to spin it as uh, the job, what not the, like you me. weren't good enough. That's the thing. It's like when you say it didn't work out, that makes it seem like you weren't good enough at it. Oh yeah. You want to try to portray it in terms of it didn't offer you something that you wanted. Right. Uh, and so a classic one is there wasn't room to grow. Uh, that's a very classic one. It right. doesn't even matter if it's true. Remember, it doesn't matter if this, this is true because there's no way to verify that. Right. There's absolutely no way to verify that. Or um, it wasn't uh, directly involved enough with uh, the particular field I was interested in. Um, in the case of like your own independent company, I think it would make sense to say something like, you know, so, uh, something that was more stable. Um, or I really want to work more collaboratively with more people, and that's kind of hard to do when it's a very, very small organization. 
Um, right. All of these things are kind of uh, sensible ones. You generally do not want to mention uh, money <laughs> at early stages. You know, what's funny is that uh, my current job, I got it through a temp agency. Mm -hmm. And I actually, in the temp interview, you know, the kind of the screener interview, um, they were like, so why are you looking for a new job if you have a job right now? I was like, well, I mean, it pays like $10 an hour. And they're <laughs> like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, the people who are on the, like, recruiting side that aren't actually attached to the hiring company, right. those people you can usually be somewhat more honest with. Right, right. Um, not always. Not but, always, uh, yeah. you know, it's it's really the, pe the person who's doing at the company side who you really just need to be like, I will do anything. I will do absolutely yeah. anything for this job. I will, I will lick your boots every day. <laughs> like the, you, that's when you really need to be the very obsequious version of yourself. Uh, but yeah, I hadn't really thought too much about that using your own like a personal shell company to paper over. <laughs> so like, what title guests. should sh you create your shell company? What title should you give yourself? Like, well, well uh, I mean, if you're, you're like, I'm a janitor. office assistant. I, I would have the president. Analyst. Who's the president? Oh, uh, Exe executive, executive VP of totally legal business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would consider just like every single time you apply to a job, just copying and pasting uh, exactly the title of the position you're applying for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm an analyst, and I look at like analyst job descriptions, and I'm like, none of this is what I do. Oh yeah, they just pick a word. That, like analyst is one of those words, like consultant, where they just pick it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Analyst, analyst, uh, just means whatever. I mean, it, it covers yeah. an enormous amount of ground. It's basically just if you can program a algebra equation in excel like you're an analyst like that's, yeah. that's it like yeah uh a1 plus b1 equal and then then, then, then now you're an analyst yeah like, <laughs> like we should just explore the concept to wherever it's just meaningless oh yeah like uh just start calling um i mean i don't even know like, i mean if most you work at a zoo you're an analyst yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I analyze the uh, the <laughs> copper lights. From I'm, the <laughs> I'm a product analyst. I, I feed the elephants. <laughs> um, yeah, most of the job titles tend to be very meaningless, uh, unless it's like a regulated title, like medical doctor or <laughs> social worker or lawyer, where like the government will come after you for claiming the title without the right certifications. Like outside of that, all the job titles are absolute gibberish. Um, oh yeah. I've seen, you know, I remember having an operations assistant opening in my database. There, there were two of them at the same time. And one of them was, uh, you know, filing and faxing and answering phones. And another one was, like, drawing blood and suturing. Because <laughs> <and laughs> it was surgical operations assistant. It was just listed as operations assistant. I was like, I, what am I supposed to do with this? Like... <laughs> How does this help anybody to do this? <laughs> I'd, like, I'd, I'd like to do one person who's like, ah, I don't know how to suture this fax machine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I, I did want to ask, so, and, and maybe before we end, we'll circle back to, I guess, more advice for just kind of mm -hmm. people who are listening um, uh, yeah, sure. as to how to get a job. But, but I did, uh, this thing you wrote for us, I thought was pretty interesting where you talked more generally about, I guess we've kind of since probably the 90s and major offshoring started. We've had this fetishization of uh, recruitment and job recruiting and skills training and all this crap. And you made this pretty good point uh, in this, this little thing you wrote up to prepare was essentially when we think of job recruiting, it's always treated as a monolith, but there is 
upper class, middle class, and lower class job recruiting, and they are three completely different things that are always just kind of papered together. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely, uh, and that's you know the the sort of upper class stuff is you know that the headhunting agencies you right. might hear about, and on that end, you know that's the person who goes to a headhunting agency and says I need a job, they're going to pay like thousands of dollars for that service. Right, like that's not something that's accessible to the majority of us. Uh, and then there's a whole sort of realm of middle class style recruiting for professionals in highly skilled fields. And that whole field is the one that most people tend to think about the most because, you know, how often do you hear politicians say, oh, you know, the, the American middle class, the American middle class. No, nobody says the American lower class. Nobody says that. Uh, so there's a real fetishization of this middle class I've style of doing things, and it, go, it extends into recruiting. And uh, in the middle class field, it's often kind of a question of finding people and finding openings and trying to figure out a way to close the distance between those, which is often a geographic distance. Um, you know, you might have a, um, I don't know, a biomedical researcher who's languishing in West Virginia, and most biomedical research happens in New Jersey, so come on down to New Jersey. Uh, but that huh. all kind of presumes you've got somebody who can afford to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lot of it. And those or those companies, they tend to be working with like kind of almost like a one-to-one. Uh, you know, like almost every time they have an opening, they find somebody. And it's really kind of a matter of, frankly, that person was probably going to get hired sooner or later. You know, this biomedical technician or this petroleum engineer, they're probably going to get hired sooner or later. It's about reducing the amount of time. Mm. They spend out there looking. Uh, but lower class recruiting is where things get really wonky and weird. And uh, it's oftentimes expressed as like, if we were good at meeting the private sector demand for working people, we could just get down to 0% unemployment. Um, and as we know, this is just never going to happen because then the Federal Reserve will have a freak out over the Phillips curve <laughs> and uh, raise rates and tank the entire freaking economy. So <laughs> um, so Phillips curve, real or made up? Uh, economics well, is... Uh, yeah, oh, for, for our listeners, I think all of us know what the Phillips curve is, actually. Vaguely. Yeah, but that's the okay. unemployment it's a in, it's to a inflation. There's an inverse relationship, uh, allegedly, between inflation and unemployment. So if you, have less un- you have less unemployment, then you'll have more un- inflation either now or soon. Yeah, that's uh, so. It's, uh, basically, the belief is that uh, if we did get down to full private sector employment, we would go into hyperinflation. Right. Basically, the gist of it. And you know, the last several administrations of the Federal Reserve have decided that that is too high of a cost to bear. We need to push the cost <laughs> for inflation onto the poorest people and keep a certain amount of them unemployed. Uh, so they have like oh. so that they don't you don't let them just kind of run free and buy things with money <laughs> from their jobs. The Federal Reserve actually has their own measure of where they think the optimal point on right. this, this this curve is called the non-accelerating inflation rate of unemployment or NARU. And so they've continually revised NARU down each time unemployment goes down but unemployment but but inflation. but inflation doesn't go up. Yeah, that's always in like the first chapter of like economics textbooks it seems like where they're trying to blow your mind with like did you know that there's actually a uh, minimum level of inflation below which it's actually bad for the economy. <laughs> <laughs> or not inflation. Uh, I unemployment. Didn't. Unemployment. You're yeah. like, I didn't think that because 
It's false. Why we don't <laughs> fucking see that. Yeah, they're like, the data. we're going to blow your mind with that, and then it turns out it's just not true. Well, so all, uh, I forget uh, which of those economics books for dummies I read, but it, they had it at 5% is the Nehru, which is what they all thought mm-hmm. Nehru was, and now we're below 5%, and everybody's like, yeah, we're still experts, and you should still listen to us. We definitely know what we're talking about. I mean, yeah, that's what, what you're taught in like high school next to calculus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Nehru, which I think think is something from World of Warcraft. <laughs> uh, th- I think that sounds like a World of Warcraft. It sounds thing. a little like Nauru, the yeah. country. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, um, so the thing about whether or not it's true, this is where economics becomes a very funny discipline because uh, even if it doesn't happen, the people who have control over these things believe in it. And so it kind of gets into like its own... Speaking of employment. Yeah, it's kind of this <laughs> own... Uh, like self-fulfilling prophecy like right it doesn't actually matter if having very low uh unemployment would lead to hyperinflation because the people who care about the people who have the levers on uh on you know interest rates and such like that they believe it's true and they will act as if it is true and so they will follow through on the policy prescriptions from it regardless of the descriptive reality uh they do not care. It is like bloodletting, you know. So the cu- the, the current Nehru just as of 2019 right now is about 4.6 percent. That's okay. what they say Nehru is. Yeah. Or yeah. And I'm not, I'm not sure what the federal unemployment numbers are. I know that the states they forecast yeah. it to go down. Obviously, Wait, they <laughs> have a curve of the natural rate of unemployment. They're just like what we think it is. Yeah, what they thought it was at any point. Oh my! And they even have a forecast. That's such an embarrassing, uh, like, data set to release to the public. Yeah, I'm I'm reading the Federal Reserve Economic Data Site right now, and they have a projection <laughs> of Nehru, and it's like, well, gonna go down. Yeah, just gonna go down. Um, yeah. uh, we're just gonna keep on it's estimating it downwards until we get down chart. to the reality of zero percent, and yeah, uh, then we'll just yeah. claim we were right all along. <laughs> Our advice on this jobs episode is join the Federal Reserve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, very little accountability well, there's a, there. The Federal Reserve is essentially a, f- a federal job guarantee program <laughs> for economists. Yeah, for people who know uh, microecon. Yeah, for neoclassical economists. Yeah, anyway. it's it's for economists who say the right thing because you know, like even if it doesn't have an effect on inflation, it does have an effect on how much. Uh, firm owners have to pay their employees because, That's true. and mm-hmm. so there's kind of a bit of an incentive for economists who want maybe more lucrative jobs to say like, oh yeah, there's you know you can't hire too many people like, or else. Well, the, 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 I mean, there's the the classic joke. You know, you mentioned offshoring, and I mean, when was in, and the economists will say, oh, you know, offshoring makes us generally better off because it reduces prices economy wide. But when was the last time we heard an economist say we should start offshoring economists? Offshoring is good until it happens to you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Just like inflation is good until it happens to you. (laughs) But it is interesting. Like uh, I'll confess to not having studied Pete Buttigieg's plans on this. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I think you know maybe we're moving away from this with with Warren and Sanders. But certainly up until now, this has kind of been the Democratic plan. Is like, I mean, one job training, but two like maybe give credits or whatever to job recruitment companies and this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And this is supposed to, like, solve our problems I with... I um, Buttigieg's plan is uh, avoid eye contact with your actual constituents, especially if they're not white. His plan is, uh, you know, Nehru is so much more poetic in the original Norwegian. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we are moving, uh, hopefully... Uh, you know, with Sanders especially, and maybe Warren also, we're moving away from the idea that private sector employers 
will will help us achieve full employment. No, no, because they haven't. I mean, you know, so we've relied on the private sector to employ people for the most part for most of our history as a country and we've always had unemployment so they've mm. always failed in that regard mm. now is 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 Nehru, is that urdu for uh, blue lives matter <laughs> oh god um yeah the this is actually um part of why i find the green new deal so exciting as a possibility is that uh i mean we're all we all know that there are bullshit jobs many of us probably feel like we are currently working in a bullshit job uh but some of us read David Graver's bullshit jobs. Yeah, so yeah, so <laughs> some of us are looking forward to reading David Graver's bullshit <laughs> jobs. <laughs> books titled that now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, the, there's a kind of interesting converse to that, which is that there are actually a lot of jobs that are still going undone. Um, you know, we'll often hear this kind of discourse that uh, there's not enough work for people to do. That uh, we've automated away all of the meaningful work. But the truth of the matter is, is that we actually have an enormous amount of labor left to do. Uh, it's just in things that are not being paid. Uh, we yeah. have, you know, we have so much environmental remediation work to do. Mm-hmm. So much of it, and there's plenty of work to do. There's just no jobs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's so there's a there's a genuine a noumenal even demand for like home health care workers and. <laughs> Uh, and therapists and all of this stuff, uh, street cleaners. I mean, we even have like more or less guaranteed jobs for street cleaners in this city, and our streets are still dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like we can do better. the The need is there, but we want to pay people to like scam YouTube algorithms for yeah. <laughs> like, like it's like you know your 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 train is late because uh you know there's a signal malfunction you're like huh there just aren't enough jobs out there (laughs) (laughs) now now time to write fake content to to trick an advertiser into putting their stuff on my website yeah exactly exactly uh a lot of us are doing just absolutely nonsense jobs and there's still very meaningful work out there to do but um it just isn't getting paid for and uh the classic example one of uh one of the easiest jobs to get um, around here is home health aid. Mm-hmm. It's extremely easy. If somebody comes into my office and says they want to be a home health aide, I can almost always get them hired in a matter of weeks. It's very easy, even though it's a certified job that requires quite a bit of training. It is The demand is so much higher than the supply for it that the private companies are willing to do a month of free training to get people certified for it. The trouble is, is that um, because the the way that home health aides are paid is fundamentally out of Medicare and Medicaid. They are fundamentally paid by that. Uh, it is almost entirely for poor people who are disabled, either due to age or another physical infirmity, uh, that are not quite at the point where they need to be living in a group home. Mm-hmm. And so they live at home, but they need somebody to come around and you know do their laundry, administer their medication, maybe help them take a shower. Uh, so the wages are effectively set by congress the people who are paying who need who have the demand they don't have any money anyway so the whole free market forces thing just completely collapses <laughs> you know you, you can't negotiate for higher wages with somebody who can't pay you at all who can't pay you that's that's nonsense you're getting paid by congress there's no market going on here uh and so this means that the job is simultaneously difficult and pays poorly so nobody really wants to do it so if you are one of the few people who wants to do it you're you're not going to go without work right. you know you're you're going to be working steadily up until you can, 
Like <laughs> it's like charter school teacher. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's a lot like that. You know, it's a, uh, and so the thing is, is that the, and we're still not meeting the demand for it as a job. There are still a lot of people in the city who could use some additional assistance, and they're not going to get it anytime soon because we can't increase the wage and because we keep on trying to rely on a private sector solution to what is obviously a public good, it's not going to freaking happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, so jobs just fundamentally aren't a right that people have. Yeah, we and this is actually one of those jobs that is covered in the Green New Deal. Yeah. Oh, nice. You know, health aids. Yeah. yeah. So there's a federal job guarantee within the Green New Deal, and I think that's one of its strongest points, really. Yeah. Is that it, it makes, uh, you know, if you, if you want a job, you've got one. Well, and that's the thing is like um, if you don't get that job under a federal jo- uh, federal jobs guarantee, you can sue until you do. Well, every other plan, uh, essentially up until now, uh, you know, from the '90s to now, it always involves essentially like government tax credits or even just government direct money to to someone in the private sector, whether it's recruiters or trainers or whoever, mm-hmm. or you know, actual um, employers get tax credits to hire. Or, you know, it's all just spending public money to try to get the private sector to do stuff because mm-hmm. we're all so petrified of this idea of the government actually just spending its own money to actually do something. And the one real case we have is uh, is the Works Progress Administration. Yes. And it was just massively successful. Yeah. And it was set up incredibly fast. Um, you know, the Civilian Conservation Corps was hiring people inside of months mm-hmm. of, uh, of, uh, F- of FDR getting elected. And, um, you know, the WPA did have weaknesses, not least of which is that uh, by decentralizing its administration in an era of extremely brutal segregation... Uh, <laughs> That meant that segregation oh, just how was could that not go wrong. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and the other problem was, of course, that it wasn't permanent. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just so once it was an emergency situation, right? It was yeah, bound to be ended at some point. So yeah, and then it just they just killed it during World War II because whatever. Uh, I guess if you're in the middle of a war, people won't miss it if you're al- there's already like you know you can either go get blown up. In in the bulge, or you know, make the things that blow people up. Yeah, yeah. In, in both in both cases, though, like what what led to almost true full employment of like you know, well, not quite there, but in like the low twos to high one percent range for a while was um, large scale industrial policy by the federal government. Mm-hmm. It wasn't waiting to give tax credits to private employers. Well, and I mean, the, the tax credit thing is just getting... I, I really hope that we just never mention it again going forward, except <laughs> to like for mockery. Because like, that's what Trump's been doing. And, oh, you know, we'll give these big tax breaks to these companies, and then they'll encourage hiring, and then they just did stock buybacks. Right. Uh, and now, you know, m- you know we're, we're looking at a recession. We're staring that one down right now, and not quite fired yet, but it's, it's coming, and... You can just watch these large firms just stockpile liquid assets. <laughs> like, th- they just know what's coming. And they know that when there's a crash, like, m- middle-class homeowners are all going to go underwater. And then they can just snap up those properties for a song if they've got the liquid assets on hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, and just two things. Uh, one is, like, one of my favorite things is conservative economists will make the argument that Works Progress Administration made uh, the Depression worse. Uh, which is why FDR was re-elected in a landslide three <laughs> times. <laughs> re-elected so often that we had to put in like a mercy right. rule. 
<laughs> a presidential mercy rule. Uh, yeah, the the WPA. Let me see. I think I've got the numbers on hand. Um, yeah, the WPA initial proposal was three point five five million jobs, uh, and it peaked at three point three three million in nineteen thirty eight. Uh, so it was within three years of implementation. So that's incredible speed. Like we can do this. Right. Uh, you know, we we absolutely can do this, and uh, there's really kind of no reason to believe that. It's it's not really bad for the econo- for even the private sector economy for this to happen, mm. uh, because those people then have to you know if you employ all these people digging ditches, they're going to go to bars and yeah. so on and so forth, uh, and and movies and such. And you know this is all largely a good thing for the private sector. The issue is uh, as Michael Kalecki points out in Political Implications of Full Employment. Kalecki. Kalecki. I'm sorry. Uh, a little bit Polish is a little bit hard for me. Okay, uh, we gotta pause and start over. Again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the this is well, this episode has probably the least interruptions by mispronunciations. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Sean hasn't been doing a lot of talking. <laughs> 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 yeah, the the real issue is that if you have truly full employment, then firing people doesn't actually hurt them that much. Okay, like, but yeah. hear me out. What if instead we address the recession? By giving discount networking classes to those home care professionals. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's uh, something like a good one, you know, just uh, just like some like uh, really like scaled down cocktail parties, like that too. Uh, and also, here's how to attach, uh, how to hook up your router. Ho- uh, let's hope that gets <laughs> you a job. Uh, uh, the 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 part about the learn to code exactly the, the, the learn to code thing gets really kind of white supremacist phrase <laughs> the the coding the coding idea is really kind of darkly amusing since the real purpose of a programming job is to automate away its own job yeah like it, it's it's designed to be like its own like suicide switch is built into <laughs> it as a career your, field. your job is to not have a job yeah well, the saving grace of it I think is Godel's incompleteness theorem. Oh and yeah, it's yeah. always going to be a um, another level that you have. You can't so, so you're just, just automate away. So you're just counting on like the, the whole thing just doesn't work anyway. Like yeah, there's <laughs> there's always going to be uh, you know something you you ha- need a human to do. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. Well, I mean that's the um, I mean that's part of the thing about automation that I often see people get kind of wrong is that we don't usually automate away the entire job. Yeah, we automate away tasks. Yeah, within that job, and you know, a fairly simple example is you know. My job involves a lot of looking at big numbers, and I can just use an Excel sheet and do you know some if and then put in a phrase, and I don't have to manually go through the table and count up one, two, three, five hundred and fifty, five hundred and sixty. Uh, the fact that I can just automate that very quickly that saves a lot of time. That automates a task, but it doesn't automate the whole job. And we're very, very far away from like completely replacing even like cooks. Oh yeah, like we're we're like very even. Either either you or your boss is gonna figure out some other shit for you to do and after you automate that. Yeah, and also like the automated cook, like there's it's still gonna be a level, and it's usually gonna be like in a faraway country where it's <laughs> like there's still someone who's like putting together the automatic meal box that yeah. goes into or the cooking machine, programming new dishes. Yeah, 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 and there's a. I mean, there's, you know, that, that whole thing about the Luddites that a lot of people get somewhat wrong in their British history is the Luddites weren't anti-technology. They were anti, 
capitalists using that technology to exploit them more efficiently. Yeah. They wanted a, it was a negotiating tactic to get a better cut. And so it's not that automation is intrinsically going to destroy our lives. And in fact, if we had a decent economy, it would do the exact opposite. We'd go, oh, crap, we can do in 20 hours what used to take us 40 hours. Oh, yeah. Everybody gets an extra week of vacation. Yeah. Uh, or, or they take on an jo- another job that they want more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it, caring for, like, being a home health aide or something. Yeah, yeah. Or gaming. Or yeah, gaming. Yeah, or yeah, being yeah, a professional gamer. We can, yeah. we can go to the entire Twitch streamer economy. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah well. let's see you automate that, Bill Gates. <laughs> um, Once yeah, they automate Fortnite, it's basically done, though. But let's <laughs> I mean, we're already facing a danger of uh, comedians being automated away right. with, like, these well, weird, like, Markov bots. Let, let's see them oh, yeah. write a program that can find the obscure mm. racial slurs from the 19th century. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's... Uh, we we don't automate quite the way that people think we do, um, and you know, even for something as simple as like you know using a water mill to beat paper pulp, uh, mm-hmm. you know that does save an enormous amount of labor, but it's not quite the same as just eliminating the jobs outright. There were still people working in paper mills. Yeah, yeah. And you know by 1600, even though they had figured out how to use a water wheel to beat the the pulp. Yeah, like, it's still gonna break every now and then, and uh, you still need to move it around and stuff. Yeah, and. That's true. My water mill employs almost no one now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's still someone that needs to go in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, there, there is that whole joke about the uh, the auto plant in Ohio that closed down in 92 with, what, 3,000 employees and reopened last year with 150 employees or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Same number of cars, but... <laughs> wow. But uh, it's... It's definitely kind of interesting. It's almost like it asymptotically gets to what people think is going to happen, but doesn't ever quite cross that barrier into just, like, the elimination of work. And in yeah. any case, it's it's definitely compatible with full employment. Oh, yeah. Everyone yeah. who wants a job can still have one, and we can still specifically focus on automation. Yeah, yeah. And definitionally. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you familiar? I, I, I haven't read this book, but I know they just dropped that book, what, Fully Automated Luxury Communism, and everybody's <laughs> arguing about it on Twitter. Oh, I don't nice. know. Uh, do you have any opinions on that? Uh, I mean, I guess that was kind of what I was getting to was that uh, we're very far away from that level and store that type of technology. And uh, a lot of the automation that we do doesn't really reduce the amount of uh, calories going into the economy. It's really just kind of more efficient ways of using fossil fuels, mm. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a little bit grim. Uh or rather, taking a task that humans used to do and figuring out a way for a fossil fuel to do it, uh, <laughs> which is basically you know how like Bitcoin works. Somebody figured out how to solve very simple math problems that you can do by hand, and just <laughs> have it be done by burning like an enormous percentage of the world's coal. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah. uh, so uh, that's I, I think we're very far away from like an Ian M. Banks the culture style level of automation where like I, I think we're just very very far away from that. And also, I who controls the computer? Yeah, that's actually a very important thing, is that the, the ownership, if the ownership just keeps on going to the richest couple of people over and over again, it right. doesn't actually help the rest of us. Seize the means. Yeah, 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 seize them. Uh, so that's, that's part of the issue, is that uh, we're pretty far from that technology. It also, you know, we can do, we, it could just keep on going to the richest people, and they can just figure out new forms of labor to exploit us for. Eventually, we're going to get to the point where it's, you know, the, the old joke about getting kicked by a horse factory. <laughs> uh, you know the 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 idiocracy jobs of uh you know getting hurt on like everybody's working as like a jackass stunt man <laughs> sort of thing uh 
But one thing that I do think is really f- kind of fascinating is people will talk about, oh, we can't reduce the average work week because that'll cause like this huge economic devastation. We've been on the 40-hour work week for a while. The last step we had downwards was to a 40-hour work week, and that was a long time ago, and it didn't cause a total economic collapse when we went from like yeah. an 80-hour <laughs> work week to a 40-hour work week. Why would... Are we saying Why can we not do that again? Yeah, are we saying <laughs> that we have not gotten more efficient at producing things in like what, like eighty years now? Right. <laughs> like well, I mean, that's the whole argument. Is like just to go back to the New Deal. Like at the time, Congress was de- seriously debating a thirty-hour work week. Yeah. And I mean, again, this is not socialism. These are capitalists, uh, liberal the, the capitalists. Yeah, these are these are 30, 30 hour work weeks. Eighty years ago, when we've had, you know. Uh, immeasurable growth, well, measurable, but I- extreme amounts of economic growth since then. We are vastly richer than we were at the time, and you know, at the time they were discussing thirty-hour work weeks and yes, FDR's developing world. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you have to kind of wonder if like we got worse at things. If like if like we're expecting the working class person to be working harder than ever before, like like it's, it, it's if the narrative doesn't hold together <laughs> it's good to keep them distracted you know yeah give them an extra day maybe they'll start thinking about things oh well, i mean that was um you know one of those one of those things that becomes really odd when you're looking at economic history really fun to me at least is that uh you know we can say 16th century china uh a period that I, i'm a big fan of early ming uh uh middle ming i guess uh that's when the most of the great wall was built and a lot of the factor that went into why they ever built I'm, it. I'm more into the Ming's obscure earlier works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the things that really motivated it was that people were basically economically sufficient off of significantly less than working all year round. Hmm. And it was actually very hard to find jobs for people to do during the summer because uh, you can't spin silk in the summer because it's too dry and the silk breaks. And you're not planting or harvesting. That's when the crops are growing. So they were like, oh, shit, these peasants are going to start revolting. They're going to <laughs> get bored, and they're going to try to revolt just because they're bored. Uh, so let's build a giant wall. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's also how the pyramids were built. Like, There's not a lot of um, mm-hmm. uh, written record, but it, you know, there's the thing where it's like Jews built the pyramids, and it's like, well, no, that was... The the Ram Ramazide times was like that was about a th- over a thousand Andy, years later. But d- shut don't, up, Sean. don't call the Jews aliens. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also like uh, basically in ancient Egypt, uh, uh, less so now because they've danced. But the Nile would flood, and so you've got all these farmers who their farm is flooded now. Um, but they've got a central government because all the grain goes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now they've got all this free time, so they're just like, all right, let's let's build me a giant. Uh, piece of stone for me to live forever and you know that's yeah yeah it's it basically a make work project oh yeah yeah and it's uh it's, it's kind of a fascinating thing because we're used to thinking about a make work project as something that tries to artificially create jobs to reduce the unemployment to figure out a way to give people have an excuse for giving people money to live but it can also help you live forever yeah it can also help you live forever <laughs> uh but you know historically many of them were just we need to find some way to keep these people occupied. And, I mean, today, you know, we, we could just have everybody be Twitch streamers. Like, it's, it's just not that hard. <laughs> like, there, there's got to there's gotta be enough going on in the Overwatch League yeah, to occupy. Uh, I mean, we, we could intentionally accelerate the climate <laughs> degradation. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's definitely mm-hmm. a, an oddity looking at, like, in the past where 
there was like a surfeit of there's almost too much prosperity for these governments to feel comfortable. Yeah. For yeah. these relatively totalitarian <laughs> governments to feel comfortable. Yeah. And and now we're saying like, oh no, no, there's just not enough to go around. Yeah. There's not enough to go around after the industrial revolution, but before there was. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a blatant lie. But I yeah. guess um before we run out of time, were there things we didn't get to as far as like, you know, anyone who's listening to this who mm-hmm. like um is trying to find a job essentially, or maybe they hate their job. They're getting out of this, mm-hmm. you know, just like general advice that. Uh, you well, give I'll, to I'll do a, I'll do a recap of my points so that we kind of have it all together in one right, one so that position. Uh, when Andy's editing this, he can really yeah. hone it into his skull. <laughs> really take um, some notes. The the number one. Most oh wait, I did want to say uh, uh, one piece of uh, job advice is if you are listening to this podcast at work, uh, very important you use headphones. Because apparently somebody tweeted at us. I don't know if he was fucking with us, but he said he took a temp job and he was listening to our podcast, <laughs> our fucking Notch episode, where Andy plays oh, this, no. this clip of PewDiePie like saying the N-word. I cut but the N-word out. Yeah, but you know it's very clear what PewDiePie is saying. And Andy keeps playing this <laughs> clip. And this guy tweets at us like, yeah, so I went on this temp job <laughs> and I was listening to your podcast and uh, you kept saying the N-word and uh, they didn't ask me to come back on the temp <laughs> job. <laughs> I'm guessing that's a, a gag. Like that, that That's kind of a running gag on uh, your Kickstarter sucks where someone's like, yeah, I got in a cab and the cab guy was like, yeah, I like comedy. So I put it on and it was the one where you guys said that um, Hugh Hefner, right behind his balls, had a pussy, and he <laughs> threw me out of the car. <laughs> oh. uh, yeah, yeah. D- yeah, job advice. Okay, yeah, headphones uh, for podcasts. Headphones for podcasts. That's 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 very good. Uh, so the first thing to know when you're looking for a job is it's going to be like 200 applications. Yeah, like I'm I'm not going to lie to you here. Uh, it's miserable. Um, most of us are not prepared for 200 rejections. I do not think humans were designed for that. Humans lived in what groups like 50 to 100 for most of our I, I mean, life. I, I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know most people. Yeah, and, uh, you know, if you got shot down for Stone Age marriage 200 times, that was, like, really bad. Like, it's, like, incomprehensibly <laughs> bad at that point. So, like, I think we're designed to start psychologically shutting down at that level of rejection. But Especially when, like, the Stone Age marriage is an orgy. And if you're, yeah. if you're rejected at the orgy, that's... <laughs> yeah. Getting rejected by all 200 of the other people living in your yeah. village. In, yeah, in your, in your gathering band. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm a big believer that if you're going to send somebody out on an ocean voyage... You don't tell them that it's going to be ten days when it's going to be two hundred days. Like it's mm-hmm. just irresponsible. It, unless you're trying to sex traffic them. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it will. I mean, I'm not trying to scam you right now. If I was trying to scam you, I might say something right. different. Uh, <laughs> but you know, be prepared for doing this a lot, and that take that can take a lot of time because it, this isn't a New York number. This is a general U.S. wide number. There's probably only like twenty openings in your field each week. Mm. So it, it's going to take time just to even fill out all those applications just in terms of the number of openings. Uh, so I just want people to be psychologically girded for how tedious this is going to be. Uh, number two, um, most of the qualifications are BS. Uh, you, the closer you are to the job match, the more likely you are to get called in for an interview. Mm-hmm. Uh, up to 50%. Hmm. If you are, the person who is seventy five percent qualified is has not gained an advantage over the person who is fifty percent qualified, uh, and this basically comes down to um, the people who are writing these job postings. 
they just kind of want to not get fired and go home. Yes. Uh, they are workers just like the rest of us. And so they will use, you know, these shortcut, lazy templates that just make it look like the genre of a job posting. Right. And that in and that means it has to be a certain length and a certain format. And they're not just going to say what they actually care about, which is, you know, we just need somebody who's uh, TIP certified or something like that. Like, that's the only thing they actually care about. They're going to put in, you know, TIP certified, three years experience, yada, yada, yada. Um, and they actually only care about one or two things out of, like, five. And you can't actually tell which ones are the good ones <laughs> from looking at it. So once you get up to, like, 50% qualified, just just dive in. Um, it's actually one of the uh, – it's actually really odd because it's one of the – things that wound up being pretty heavily gendered in my research um, in a way that is actually advantageous for women very oddly uh, hmm. for women the diminishing return point is at about 30 percent uh, hmm. you know they, they they hit about the same interview rate as men hit at about 50 percent hmm. which is still terrible uh, and you know they I'm not trying to say that women are having an easier time it's just this one Odd phenomena. No, that's my, that's my job on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just this one particularly odd phenomena. But you know, th- what this really tells you is be sloppy. Uh, <laughs> be sloppy with your applications. Uh, I you are, I told you you're going to have this really high target, so just cast that wide net and you know just all right scatter shot. Yeah, scatter absolute scatter shot. Frankly, scrutinizing your job applications to make sure that it's something that really fits your skill set. Not a good use of your time. You are better off just getting on to the next application. Uh, <laughs> like, better off just keep on moving. Um, Tinder it. it. Yeah. Yeah, Tinder it. Tinder right. it, exactly. I uh, think uh, I call my job application strategy RAF over Germany. Yeah. <laughs> just drop on everything you see. And, and, and take more of the, yeah, take the night bombing strategy <laughs> rather than the day bombing <laughs> strategy. Um, I mean, not literally. You actually want to apply, like, as soon as the job is posted. Right. Like, you oh, want to apply within like, the first couple days. Oh, and yeah, actually, it's actually, uh, we've actually gotten precise enough that we know that a 10 a.m. applicant is more likely to get the job than an 11 a.m. applicant. Really? <laughs> like, wow. <laughs> um, oh, so it, maybe I should just program it to, to automatically send then or something? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Uh, and number three is, as mentioned, lie. Um, <laughs> like, say whatever it takes. Uh you know, don't say anything that's going to, you know, only me- really measure yourself on something that can really come back and bite you. Uh, if it's not something that's going to come back and bite you, uh, you know, any of those fluff questions. Uh, what is your biggest weakness is a really tricky one. And don't say something like, uh, yeah, I tend to sleep in a lot. Um, <laughs> so or if, I, if I say on my resume that I'm trans, I have to be trans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, don't, don't tell the truth about that one the th- that question in particular you want to the old advice was say something that's actually a strength but make it sound slightly bad like my problem is sometimes i care too much yeah that, right, th- don't, right. don't 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 do that you want to do something where you have a, an opportunity for growth like mm-hmm. um you know uh i can kind of uh get caught up too much in the details but this is what i've done to work on that you know, right. that's kind of what they're looking for. And say, say I jack off every day and do shrooms twice a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my, my, my greatest ultra we, honesty gambit. Honestly, we can't keep it outside it. of work. <laughs> my, my greatest weakness is that uh, I've killed my last three bosses. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. Don't say that sort of stuff. Oh, so it's a strength. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> but bullets. 
Um, every time. Th- that so used to be a bit, Sean did. I had a stand-up joke, which is I get tired of interview questions like, why did you leave your last job? And I just say, ran out of ammo. Police were coming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I mean... That was the first thing I saw of his, and I was like, ugh. <laughs> and now yeah, I have to be his friend or something. Kind of <laughs> that's a good joke. You kind of want to be portraying yourself as like a Superman, almost. Uh, you want to make it clear that you offer them a lot, and you aren't really questioning what they're offering back in the exchange. Uh, yeah. It's reasonable to start doing that once you're further along in the interview stage. Like second and third interviews, it starts to make sense to ask about pay scale and benefits, that sort of stuff. But early on, you really so kind of want to be just like offering yourself up as a piece of meat. So when you say portray yourself as a Superman, you mean I should say things like, my parents were part of some secret breeding program in the Third Reich. <laughs> I was thinking more like uh, my, own, my greatest weakness is kryptonite. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh so My parents were scientists who tried to warn this council about like the impending climate crisis, <laughs> but actually they just wouldn't listen. Uh, so I left my last job because I was a gigolo, and if you've ever read uh, Man of Steel, Woman of Kleenex, <laughs> that should really tell you how that one went. Uh, yeah, don't... Uh, you, you want to be portraying yourself as uh, very excited, very interested, right. um, very bubbly, and just absolutely ready to uh, dive in and do whatever they tell you. And the fact of the matter is, is that outside of like verifiable job skills, like your certifications, or they might ask you to like do something, like they <laughs> might actually test you. Particularly if you're doing like software, they will just like literally test you. Honestly, those are the only like interviews where I just nailed it. Where they're like, "So we need to do this thing in Excel," and I'm like, "Oh, okay." So like you do this, this, and this, and they're like, "Yeah." Yep. When do you want to start? Like, that's 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 wonderful. Yeah. Uh, but it's unless they're doing that, just pretty much tell them what they want to hear. Oh yeah. And it's mostly a matter of reading that. Like, there's a certain level of insincerity that we can see through. Like again, like if you do the whole like my greatest weakness is I care too much, we kind of see through that and we think you're lazy. Uh, but well, if I may uh, describe myself uh, using Nietzsche's So Spoke Zarathustra, the uh, Ubermensch is 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 a, is a becoming and an overcoming. <laughs> 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 I would describe my greatest weakness as I am stretched over a vast abyss. <laughs> uh, I'm like Nietzsche's Superman. I'm dying of syphilis. <laughs> I, I'm like Nietzsche's Superman. I killed God, and <laughs> I am now adrift in an inability to describe morality. <laughs> um, but uh, I guess before we run out of time here, is there anything uh, that you wanted to mention that we didn't get to? Uh, I think we got through most of the things that I really wanted to get through. Uh, the you know don't don't listen to hucksters who try to tell you that job the jobs problem in America can be solved with. Uh, software for coal miners. Uh, Huxer's like several presidential candidates. <laughs> yeah, in- including uh, the one who won the popular vote last time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't listen to these grifters. Uh, one of the... Listen to the people who are actually affected, I think. If we've... You know, uh, it's very easy to listen to the people who run these multi-million dollar companies and their whole weird take of like oh you know the people at the bottom just need more hope right but the fact of the matter is is that the people who are in deep profound despair about their job prospects are actually being pretty intelligent um under neoliberalism they're probably pretty screwed the solution is to change the system (laughs) (laughs) it is a systematic demand is a systematic structural problem 
and individual acts of smiling are not going to cause I, it might save a couple of people but it's not going right. to save everybody you can you can get on the life raft but other people will be drowning on the boat yeah somebody else is coming off of that life raft if you're getting on there that's like the entire fucking message that they give is like, you know, even the capitalist propaganda, it's always like you will survive while everybody else is fucked. And yet at the same time, they'll have these political campaigns where they're essentially saying that, but it has kind of a hopey message oh, yeah, to yeah. it. Well, like, it's, a, it's, it's like the bullshit of social mobility. It's like, well, if you're mobile, that means there's still everyone's still stuck. Oh, oh yeah. That yeah. has to exist. Yeah, yeah. Capitalism is fair because sometimes rich people uh came from slightly lower classes like right. your, your your overlords who control your life like some of them were selected by lottery yes yeah. not just by birth <laughs> like that, that, that makes it fair yeah <laughs> like, uh, and that's why the ivy leagues are legitimate institutions <laughs> um but i think we uh was, was there any other questions that somebody wanted me to go over but i think i covered all the things i want to yeah i know you're using uh, a pseudonym but do you have any plugs <laughs> Um, Check out the Great Wall of China. I'm really into uh, that. I, I, I will always. Uh, the only Definitely thing I ever hit up some late Ming. <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I, I will pretty much only ever plug uh, "Do Not Eat." If somebody doesn't listen to the "Do Not Eat" uh, podcast or YouTube channel, oh. please do. Uh, he is the only good uh, LPR. He is doing a <laughs> let's play of City Skylines, but he is actually a curmudgeonly Marxist uh, urban planning professor. Oh, um, that actually sounds very interesting. So, okay. you know, uh, he's got an amazing video on uh, why uh, Elon Musk's hy uh, Hyperloop is an absolute fucking joke and would probably just get hundreds, if not thousands, of people killed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, even if it managed to overcome the insurmountable legal difficulties uh no he was gonna build it through the middle of uh freeway yeah that really was his original plan really <laughs> he was really gonna build a private yeah and you know he excellent ones on uh prison labor and <laughs> uh water distribution and even a very very fun video on the killdozer Oh yeah! Oh, is that the guy who who uh, got real pissed off, and <laughs> built his own tank, and oh, that's the that's a killdozer. That's the killdozer. Nice, is uh, nice. this uh, insane libertarian small business owner uh, got into a zoning <laughs> dispute, and uh, over years, and eventually he just welded metal plates to a bulldozer and went around and tried to destroy his town uh, before <laughs> killing himself. <laughs> yeah, they just heard like a muffled like pop in there. And it didn't move anymore, and they had to like weld it open to yeah. find his body. Yeah, I yeah. Say, uh, Killdozer is one of the few things on the internet that makes me think bipartisanship is still possible. <laughs> <laughs> because every day on the anniversary of Killdozer, you'll see every fringe, obscure libertarian, but also socialist community celebrating this man's <laughs> life. <laughs> Where he, like, fucking built a tank <laughs> and destroyed all of his enemies in the town government. Well, he's a... It's, it's a very fun episode, but the, the gist of it is that he was actually significantly crazier. Like, a lot of his problem was that he was... Uh, he was... Much of his anger came out of... The town would come up to him and say, you need to have a genuine plumbing system that goes into the municipal waste. And he would say, no, fuck you. I'm going to just shit in this submerged cement mixer. <laughs> <laughs> like, and he just... And, and I'm gonna, the DIY septic tank guy. Yeah, he uses a DIY septic tank that occasionally just gets dumped into the water supply. <laughs> and he's like, this is, this is the hill I will literally die on. <laughs> is I have the right to pollute the municipal water source and not use the municipal waste system. I have a right to not having a real <laughs> toilet. 
I'm just imagining he, he's showing them the exact text of Murray Rothbard where he says you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, li- I don't want to live in a world where I can't shit into. <laughs> so uh, it's actually like way more fun and hilarious when you realize that he was actually just like, he was, he was just a huge libertarian maniac. <laughs> like, like just like absolutely the kind of guy who like quotes John Galt regularly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which makes me feel much less bad about the fact that it didn't work out for him. Hmm. Um, that he was totally unsuccessful. Uh, but yeah, that's my, that's my only plug. Uh, Do Not Eat's really good. Uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> Everyone uh, listen to Do Not Eat, but still listen to us. Yeah. And uh, uh, yeah, thank you, Fen. And I guess if you guys have, uh, if you, the listener, have employment questions, you should always, you could hit us up, grubstakerspodcast at gmail.com, and maybe we'll do some sort of follow up in the future with Fen. Uh, because, you know, it's it's hard out there. We know we're all just trying to survive. So hit us up. Let us know if you have questions or just comments. And uh, maybe we'll revisit this topic in the not-so-distant future. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, it was great, great being here. Ben. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>